Hey, well, good morning, Catalyst. How are you today? So glad to have you. So thankful that you're here. Glad to be home. Glad to be back. I want you to know I hope you had a great Christmas. I hope the vacation was awesome for you. I hope uh, uh, the welcoming into the new year was fantastic. Ellen and I had the Christmas from hell. And uh, I make no bones about that. Two days after we arrived in Florida with our family, we both got the flu. And we kept it for eight straight days. It was such a joyful, Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho. It, oh, it was miserable. I'm not going to lie to you. But you're with family, so you're enjoying that. We get better for two days. And then on the trip back home, uh, we stopped by through Mississippi. We got to have dinner with some people. I got to go hunting with my son. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And uh, I relapsed. I got it, but it came back with a vengeance. So the last 15 days until, um, until this past Thursday, uh, that's when the fever finally broke. And so I am just grateful to be here. It was so funny. We're driving back home. Uh, we leave Mississippi, and we take off in the morning. And Ellen said, I know you're miserable after I'd driven for about an hour and a half. She said, why don't you let me drive? She said, why don't, why don't you take some of these cold and flu pills? You know the ones that you take, the orange ones that you take, and they're, they're good for about six hours, and so you find great relief. Well, by mistake, I took the green ones. Any of you know what the green ones are? <laughs> they're for night. I want you to know, I had driven for like 10 minutes, and I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I, I, it was terrible. And I pulled over, and I said, Ellen, I'm sorry, sweetie, can you drive? She said, sure. Well, four hours later almost, I wake up. This is the truth. I look over, and here's Ellen, both hands on the wheel. We're doing like 90 miles an hour. We're almost, we're almost to Louisville, Kentucky at this point. I look down. There are crumbs of Rice Krispie treats and no-bake oatmeal cookies all over the counter, and she's just slugging coffee as a large. And I said, sweetie, would you like me to drive? No, I'm fine. And I said, why don't you pull over? And I pried her fingers off the steering wheel until she let me drive from Louisville home. What, what a Christmas break, I want you to know. Just absolutely hilarious. I hope yours <laughs> was better than ours, and yet in the midst of that, what do we do? We get to be around our kids and our grandkids, and it was fabulous. So for that, I am grateful. Hey, do me a favor. I need to thank somebody, because I really believe Jason Varner taught one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my life on worship. And you see, we're uniquely blessed here. God keeps bringing really, really gifted and unique people. Because here, here's the truth about Jace. Jace. Jace is an academic geek. And that's the truth. And he'll tell you this. But, but here's the difference about Jason. God has uniquely wired Jace with all of his brilliance. Ridiculous. Because I promise you, he could come here and talk for 30 to 45 minutes and if he wanted to, and you and I would never understand a word of what he's saying. But... God has gifted him to uniquely break down his word and to present it in a way that touches us, moves us, teaches us. And I want to tell you, just do me a favor. Let's just say thanks to Jace. Rich and wonderful time. You know, he, he left us with three, I, I call them critical points that I want to review because I, I, truly, I truly do re believe that redundancy is the key to communication, right? You need to hear nine things, but nine, you, hear, you need to hear something nine times before it becomes a part of who you are. And so today I want to I just go back to those three points that he made. And I want us to walk through those because I'm going to teach today on fasting and prayer. And I believe that they are so intangibly linked 
Prayer and worship are so intangibly linked, not only in our experience as believers, but in growing in our faith. First one he said is worship is about encountering Jesus. I love when he wrote, this is the root of worship. It's about encountering God without pretense and without our agendas. We don't worship so that something else happens. We don't worship so that we feel better about ourselves. We don't worship because we want Jesus to do something for us. No, you and I worship simply because the presence of Jesus is the point. Amen? Worship is about engaging with. It's about spending time with the God, and I love this, who actually wants to spend time with us. Aren't you glad you're loved that much by the Creator of all that there is? Second, worship needs to be our one big thing. Over and over in the Bible, friends, Jesus tells us that the big thing is following Him. I appreciate it so much that Jason refers us because he says believing is only the beginning step. And he, he talks about and he referenced there about the importance of discipleship. And you want to know why we spend so much time talking about that and why we spend so much of our lives pouring into other people and asking them to pour their lives into other people? It is because truly, friends, our goal is not just to know Jesus. Our goal is to become followers of Jesus. We want to know how to live out this thing called faith. We want the reality of our faith to become the reality of how we live. And finally, he just simply said, worship moves the heart of God. And in that great story he told about Mary, please hear me. See, Mary was moving past belief into discipleship. She was moving past religion. Now, please hear me say this, into relationship. You see, I promise you this, religion has never saved anyone. All the theology and the wise teaching in the world, I love what Jason said, has never brought a dead man back to life. And neither can it save us. You see, religion in itself is impotent. It has no real power. Jesus didn't say, here is the truth. What did Jesus say? Say it with me. I am the truth. You can say it louder. God won't get upset. I am the truth. The difference of this is absolutely staggering. You and I as believers in Christ, we're not rooted in religion. We're rooted and we're centered around a person. And His name is Jesus. And it's that person. It's Jesus that changes us and saves us. And I promise you, I believe the biggest thing that we take away from Jesus' teaching is that worship is about genuine engagement with Jesus our Savior. And when you and I do it, when you and I experience it, when you and I live that out, it absolutely, positively moves the heart of God. Now Jason noticed last week that this was a part of one of our footprints, and it's it's a part of a footprint that we said that we are going to be intentional and that we will engage and grow in the Lord in worship, and notice what it says, and prayer. Now, the reason that we link these two is because they are linked. 
I promise you, friends, it's hard to have worship and not have prayer. It's hard to have prayer and not have worship. In fact, you can take the three things that Jace gave to us and notice how we can say them. Worship and prayer are about encountering and engaging Jesus. Worship and prayer need to be our collective one big thing. Worship and prayer moves the heart of God. Please hear me say this. Worship is a part of prayer, and in the same way prayer is a part of worship, they are intricately connected. And I promise you this, they are intricately important in mining your faith journey. I want to share with you about a little journey I'm about to take. Tomorrow I will begin a 21-day Daniel fast. And it's a very intentional fast because we are heading up, as Bria has already shared with you, towards February, where we will celebrate our 10-year anniversary as a congregation. Hallelujah. Man, can we just celebrate the Lord? I mean, that's just awesome. But I'm going to be going through a Daniel fast. Now, for s- several years, I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Fasting in uh, the natural realm of what some people call of doing without food and just living on liquids. I want you to know that's impossible for me from a physical standpoint. And I just have some things that I can't do that. So I'm going through a Daniel fast. And what that means is you remove meat and uh, bread from your diet and you really focus on vegetables and fruit. And it's a really healthy way for me to do this. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But I want you to know, we haven't made this a big deal in front of the church. And we did that intentionally because I really believe that fasting is a very personal thing. And I want us to not feel guilt or, or, or burdened or, or in any way manipulated on that. I'm going to teach about it today. I'm going to ask you to make a personal decision of whether you want to join in this or not. But I want you to know, and I want you to understand something. I think this time in the life of Catalyst is it absolutely critical and important. And I want to share with you why. I believe that God has brought us to a place. He has repositioned us now. But please hear me say this. We have not arrived, Catalyst. We are just at a new place. And God is bringing to us new plans and new thoughts and new, new ambitions in some ways for the kingdom, I hope. But it's important for us to set aside some time to petition the Lord. Listen to what Jeremiah 29, 11 says. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And he says this, and these plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. They are plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, just as that rings true for our congregation, please hear me say this. For every individual sitting in this place today, God desires that for you in your life. But notice what he says, because we normally end with verse 11, but we we fail to go to verses 12 and 13. And then this is what God says. Then you will call on me. Then you will come to me and pray to me. And I will listen to you. Then you will seek me. And then you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You see, as followers of Christ... We are called to love God with such passion, such intensity, that regularly we set aside some time and sometimes some things in order to focus on Him and draw closer. Please hear me, friends, for us at Catalyst, it's never been more important than right now to come to the Lord, to pray to the Lord with all our hearts, and to listen and discover what He has next for us. And I believe that this is exactly what happened in Acts, the 13th chapter The church, the New Testament church, is at a new place. It's at a new season. 
I believe this passage speaks so particularly true for us and the necessary steps that we're probably we're needing to take. Let me just read it for you and see if you can understand. It said, Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch were Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius and Manaen and Saul. And one day as these men, and notice what the phrase is, as they were worshiping, to, worshiping the Lord and fasting. Now notice that fasting and worship are tied together in the life of the New Testament church. And the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and more prayer, the text says, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, this gives us kind of two specific understandings. The first one is this. Please know that the New Testament church was a people of prayer and fasting. I mean, over and over in the book of Acts, as we read about the stories of the connection and the stories of helping to create the church, prayer and fasting are constantly utilized by the leadership of the church to define where and when they were going to act. Most large decisions were never made without these two steps being a reality in the process. Now, fasting, honestly, is not a regular discipline that we hear about too much. And in some ways, I think there's great misunderstanding. And sometimes even when it's done, I think it's understood very poorly. And so today, if you don't mind, I want to spend a little bit of time of talking about what fasting is not and what fasting is. Are you okay with that today? That was very enthusiastic. Thank you so much. I have such confidence in moving forward. Ellen, maybe you need to come and drive, honey. We'll take this thing home. <laughs> First, let's focus on what fasting is not. Fasting is not used to prove how spiritual you are. I love God. I'm so delighted today that I get to do without food. To prove to you how much I love God and how much God loves me. Friends, can I tell you something? God's not impressed with your fasting at all. God doesn't need your fasting to determine who he is. Now, how he acts. You see, fasting is not in the pretense that it is to prove how spiritual you are. It is just one of many spiritual disciplines. But what I've come to understand is to release that notion that it makes us spiritual is to come to the posture of what God wants in fasting anyway. And that is to simply kneel before him and say, God, I need you. It's not about what other people think of us. It's not about trying to impress other people with how spiritual we are. It's about simply saying, Lord, I, you know what? I, I have come to an understanding, God. I've come to a moment in my life where I realize I really need to hear from you in certain areas of my life. And I'm going to set aside some time. I'm going to give some purpose. I'm going to give some intent to literally sitting before you. Second thing, fasting is not used to prove that you are a martyr. Have you ever met somebody, and let's be honest, have you ever met somebody that if they're not miserable, they don't think they're living in God's will? Have you ever been involved in a church like that? Where it was like you could never measure up? And honestly, I'm not sure that joy was a part of the journey. But have you ever been around somebody that honestly uses it to prove how much they're suffering for the Lord and how much they're giving up for God? And I'm thinking to myself, do you really think God needs you today to be a martyr so that you can impress other people with how much you're suffering for the good of the gospel? 
Some people, friends, they do this. And some really do live lives of martyrdom. But so many people have misunderstood fasting as an opportunity to portray that they are miserable enough that they'll set aside some time. And I want you to know, I don't believe God desires you and me to be miserable. I believe God desires you and me to know the joy of being loved by Him. Of coming to a place where we're free. We sang about that, we're free indeed. But that freedom comes from knowing that we have released guilt. That we have gone past our past. That we have come to a new place where the gospel gives to us a freedom in who we are in Christ. And we can live that out with joy and enthusiasm. For so many years in my life, when I would hear about fasting, I would think, Lord, I want to do this because I know that in my suffering, I'm going to draw so much closer to you. Then I'll tell you what I did in my suffering. I only drew more into my suffering. I've come to understand that fasting for me is something that Rollin needs to do because Rollin needs the Lord. Honestly, it's so funny to me. I've learned that fasting is not so much about me seeking God as it is God seeking me. Listen to Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about fasting. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious. And notice, notice the phrase he uses. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled. So people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. Isn't that unbelievable? But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Look like you're going somewhere. Then no one will notice that you are fasting. And see, that is the intent. It's not to draw attention to ourselves. It's to draw you and me to God. No one will notice that you are fasting. And then he says this. Except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father, notice his next phrase, who sees everything will reward you. You know what I have come to understand most about fasting? And it's been one of the most freeing things that I've ever found in my life and in my walk. Is fasting is not so much about me seeking God as it is God seeking me. It's about God turning the covers back, if you will. It's about God dealing with me and some of my issues that I have learned to cover well. And God rewards me in all of this. Because in the midst of this coming to Him and Him coming to me, He helps me deal and He helps me heal. With those issues that, to be honest with you, have hindered ultimately my walk with him. And his healing and his reward is enabling me to grow nearer to him in grace and not in guilt. And walk closer to him out of love, not out of a sense of just debt. You see, let's focus a little bit on what fasting is. Fasting, my friends, is just an intentional time when you and I set aside something 
For some people, it's food. For others, it might be the internet. For some, it might be TV. For some, for me, for one season of my life, it was Sports Center. And some of you went, now, Roland, you're getting personal. Don't go there yet. But we set aside something to focus on and to simply draw closer to God. And fasting is done with the belief that the Holy Spirit does speak to us and the Holy Spirit does work in us. Listen to Acts 13. And one day as those men were worshiping and fasting, notice the phrase, the Holy Spirit said. It was a tangible moment. Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. You see, my friends, in these moments, what we're believing is that God desires to work in us. God desires to help us grow. God desires to heal us, to strengthen us. God desires to take away our angst and give us joy. God desires to do something in our lives that moves us towards wholeness so that we don't live and dwell in our brokenness on and on and on. We believe, we believe that the Holy Spirit takes residence in us to help change us. And fasting is all about coming to a place where we say, God, speak to me. Work in me. Even reveal in me those places that I need to grow. I need to change. And friends, that may be spiritually. That may be relationally. That may be emotionally. In whatever fathom, whatever facet, we are just simply saying to the Lord, we make ourselves and our hearts available to you. And we do it with freedom. We do it with just absolute sense that God, you love us so unconditionally. We can trust you unconditionally. We can give you ourselves in a total sense that your love for us will cover it. And finally, friends, fasting is done when, when direction needs to be found. And God's wisdom needs to be sought about a particular issue. And that is exactly what these five men are doing in Acts the 13th chapter. Please hear me. The church is in a different place. It's in a critical place. There is a time when they have decided. I mean, they have decided that they are going to take the great commission given to them by Christ in Matthew 28. And they're going to begin to take the good news out to the whole world. And God has provided for them the necessary instrument to do this. And I want to tell you, it was somebody they never ever dreamed it would be. And it was Saul of Tarsus. Who in Acts 13 is the first time he's ever called by the name Paul. And God speaks to Ananias. A trusted believer in the church who also lives in the city of Tarsus. And Paul has been confronted by Christ. He, he asked him after the light has struck him blind, who are you? And he just, Jesus just simply says, I am Jesus. 
And the Lord calls to Ananias in a vision. And he says, go to the house of Judas. And I love this, don't you? Luke tells us on straight street. I mean, Luke is so detail-oriented. He says, I want you to go to the house of Judas on straight street. God didn't even need GPS. And ask for a man named Saul of Tarsus. And notice what it says. For Ananias, he is praying. The one who had persecuted Jesus is now praying and petitioning Jesus. And in a vision, Ananias, a man named Ananias is to come and place his hands on him. Now notice what it says. And to restore his sight. And Ananias says, Lord, listen to me. I've heard about this man, Saul of Tarsus. I've heard all the bad things and the terrible things and the brutal things he's done to your people. And literally what he's saying is, God, God, you can't call this man. But the Lord said to Ananias, Ananias, you go. Because this man that you hate is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to the people of Israel. And I will even show him, Ananias, how much he will suffer for my name. He was persecuting his name. Now, please hear me, friends. Paul already knew he was going to suffer for his name. I just want to make a quick point here. If you think in any way that your life up until this point has little or no potential for Jesus because of your past, your brokenness, your grave mistakes, I want you to know something. You have no clue then about the redemptive power of Jesus. And Ananias, Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, listen to what he says. Brother Saul. He was now family. I know what you've done. I know where you've come from. But I am believing Jesus for your future. Jesus, who appeared to you, has sent me to you. Don't you love this phrase? So that you may see again. And that you also may be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't rest on Paul's gifts. It wouldn't rest on Paul's extreme knowledge of the Scriptures. His whole ministry would be defined and dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. And immediately... 
Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And I love this phrase, and he could see again. And he got up. And he was baptized. Now, many years later, because almost 15 years passes between Paul's salvation and Paul's teaching. And now many years later, five men are worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them. It literally means they gave the power of the Lord to him. And they sent them on the way. And as we like to say, friends, the rest is history. Did you know that because five men prayed and worshiped and fasted together, you and I sit in this place today? And you know what that brought me to ask myself as I pondered the teaching this week? In 25 years, when this wonderful place is the church that God will call and enable and provide for it to become, in 25 years, who will sit in Catalyst because you and I have fasted and prayed over the next three weeks. Whose family dynamics will be changed generationally. Whose marriages will no longer be about themselves, but totally the selfless love of Jesus. whose work and toil in this world would no longer be about them and their success, but about how God can bless them to enable them to use their blessings for the kingdom. Who will sit in this place, friends, because you and I will care enough to pray and fast for God's future for this place? I want us to go back. I want us to go back to January 2018. Larry and I were talking about this at lunch the other day. We had just been told that we would no longer have the facility we were in. Some of you remember this? And we had no place to go. And there was nothing on the horizon, right? We built our January team. You know why they were called January? Because we knew of January 2019, we had to be somewhere else. So the January team took off. But before, before that happened, though, we called the church to fast for 21 days. And we said, God, we don't have a clue. But we know you do. And we said to each other, we believe that God is not surprised by this at all. 
but that God already has something in mind. And we thought it was something else, and we made an offer, and we thought, this is the place. And they turned us down so flat, they took the piece of property off the market. We scared the bejeebers out of them. And never forget, we're sitting in the meeting with the directional team. And we just said, what do you think? And Carrie Boland, without hesitation, she said, I think God doesn't think we're dreaming big enough. Who turned you loose? <laughs> and she was right. And we just began to pray and fast and put ourselves before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I think God did pretty doggone well. Don't you? Can we celebrate where He's brought us? Our situation is a little different now, isn't it? I mean, how blessed are we? But there are two things I want to say. I hope we never get to the place that we're too comfortable to fast and pray. I hope we don't ever come to the place that you and I think we have arrived. Remember, friends, God's just repositioned us. And now I believe is one of the most critical times in the life of this place. That we need to bow before the Lord and petition and pray and fast. Because we believe that God will graciously speak to us. And work through us to fulfill his vision and his purpose. For this wonderful place we call Catalyst. I told you I got to go hunting with my son. We stopped in Mississippi on the way back. I was feeling better on this day, and I'd been so looking forward to getting in the woods. I tell you, going to the woods for me is like being renewed in life. There's something about the land and the farm there. Ellen will tell you for both of us. We cherish it. We love it. I'm getting ready to get in the truck with Tyler and we're getting ready to head out and it brought my mind back to this crazy memories of when Tyler would have been five and Seth would have been a little about three and I would take both the boys hunting with no expectation of ever harvesting anything, trust me. We sounded like a circus going through the woods. <laughs> but we would stop before every time we went to the woods and we would buy a sun drop. Any of you ever had a sun drop? Like a Mountain Dew, we'd buy a sun drop and a honey bun. Friends, I want you to know a honey bun is a Christian food. Uh, you can say what you want to, but there is no way you can eat a honey bun and not think of the goodness of God, right? I mean, it's just that good. And I would take a big blanket and we would wrap them around. I would wrap them around and we'd lay, sit against the base of a tree and we, we would eat a honey bun and drink a sun drop. And if about 20 or 30 minutes after we'd finished that, it, it was time to go. They were done. I was done. But you know what I wanted to teach them was the love of the land. I just wanted them to appreciate creation of this amazing vista that God's given us. 
just to be quiet for a little while. Just to learn to be still a little while in the chaos of life. And just to take in the goodness of God in His creation. And I got out of the truck that day. And I didn't lead us into the woods. Tyler did. And I have to admit to you, I stepped back and I watched. So proud, so thankful of the man he's become. The man of faith that he is. And I watched him walk with confidence as he was taking me to his place. And here's this old blind that we bought him 30, I don't know, 25 years ago when he was a young boy. We climbed into the blind and I watched Ty's acumen take over. Because if you haven't hunted in a while, you forget that you have to bring yourself to a new place. You have to quiet yourself to a new place. You have to let yourself be so still that you begin to hear for what you don't ever hear. And you begin to try to look for what you don't see. See, that's like fasting with the Lord. And in between naps, I would wake up. I didn't take the medicine that day. I just sleep well in the woods. And I watched his focus. I watched his intensity. And in that blind that day, I said, God, in this fast, that's how I want to be with you. Not for misery. Not so that any of you even care but so that Rollin can find his sweet spot in Jesus and just be still with him. And that I will open my whole heart to him because I know how much he unconditionally loves me and that he has hopes and plans for my life that can be lived out through him. And he does the same for every one of us. And so, friends, over the next three weeks, I, I pray that we will take the Read Scripture app and we will utilize it to blend in our daily prayer time that we will begin first to humble ourselves before the Lord. If you've never done it, I pray that at least once over the next two to three weeks, maybe twice, maybe three times, I pray you will take the opportunity to bow before Him physically. And I pray we'll wait. You see, what we don't understand is that waiting is a powerful posture. Because it's in the waiting that God comes to us. And God comes to us in that powerful way. Remember, Jason gave us that definition last week of Jesus as the steed who's snorting at the bit nostrils flaring of what the enemy may be trying to take away from us. Oh, my friends, please hear me. That's the way Jesus responds to a fast because he wants to say to you, you have no idea how much I want to pour into you. And it's his passion for us. It's his love for us. 
that causes Him to engage us like that. And then finally, I'm going to ask us to ask God what He has next for us. And then I want you to do me this favor in the final week. I want you and me to dare to ask God, what does He have next for us? How does He need us to grow? What areas are there in our lives that He needs to turn the covers back on? And He needs to enable us to grow past so we can grow into the future and the plans and the hope and the dreams that He has for us. And if we do that, if we do that, I think our happy birthday party in February is going to be amazing. But I think we're going to be celebrating more than 10 years. I think we're going to be celebrating a hope and a dream that He has for us that's going to change this community and change us in all the workings. Amen and amen. Let's stand and sing.